we have a special treat for you because we will have a two for one episode. We will talk about two sermons uh, yesterday and the Sunday before. And we will see how God is moving as we mark a huge transition for those of us following the one-year chronological reading plan. But before we go any further, Brother Dan, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm just wondering if we're going to charge double admission for the two-for-one show or, um, like, how's that going to work? (laughs) Um. I think we can let the viewers decide. Uh, we okay. don't charge anything, so you're good. Yeah, that's that's my point. That's my point. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That that's the punchline. Sorry. Yeah. Um, oh, you're good. Okay. You're good. So, Pastor Dan, so what has been now the biggest transition we've made uh, in the last two Sundays from the pulpit? Uh, um, so. The, the transition has been that uh, as our chronological readings have taken us uh, to the completion of the Old Testament, um, we are now engaging with content that God has given to us that we know as the New Testament. And so the last two Sundays uh, of messages have been drawn from texts uh, that come from the New Testament. All right. Uh, I would say as someone who's following along with uh, the teaching plan and the preaching plan, one of the beautiful things to see is when I'm reading uh, the Gospels right now, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even with John being the non-synoptical Gospel, meaning it doesn't follow the same storyline or uh, recounting, you can think back to Joel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and see this interweaving of God's redemptive story. So to me, just as a reader um, and one of the privileged pastors to serve in this community at First Baptist Divine, it's encouraging just to have that juggling of memory like, oh, we read that way back in February, or oh, we just read that about a month ago in the in the prophets. So um, before we continue also, we would like to encourage those who are listening to us uh, or viewing this on YouTube, send us comments, questions. We would love to engage with you. Uh, we are keeping a close track on the comments as well as the engagement level. So if you are a part of that particular viewership or um, listeners that are paying attention to this, send us an email, info at fbcdivine. Org. Uh, you can also just, on the comment section below, send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Pastor Dan is a wonderful man. He he knows a lot. He We downplay each other because it's not about us. Uh, but we've dedicated our fair amount of our, our, our time so far uh, in, on this planet to study the Word and to show ourselves approved. So we just want to encourage you. We want to hear from you, and we want to engage with you. All right. Anything else before we move? Any sports related? Anything? Any any dad jokes to share? I'd love your take. Um, so the Cowboys are three and one. I don't know if you if you follow the Cowboys. Um, I do. Cowboys okay. are three and one. Um, the last three weeks, they have been quarterbacked by their backup quarterback Cooper Rush, mm. who is three and zero. Oh. 
And in his prior uh, experience before this year is also one and zero as a starter. So he's an undefeated four and zero starting quarterback in the NFL. Wow! Now Dak Prescott is uh, planning to return soon from the injury that he sustained in in Week One. Um, he's planning to reassume his position as the the, the number one quarterback. The question is, should he? Or has he lost his job? For many have been called, but few have been chosen. Is that it? I don't know, man. You asked, you, you opened up the, the question about sports. Um, I did. Is Cooper, is Cooper Rush the, the, the real starting quarterback? I think that's a debatable issue. But let's prioritize the time that we have yes. and focus on the Word of God. And I won't put you on that, that kind of spot. I'm not a prophet. Remember that, folks. We yeah. do not okay. teach nor believe that there are modern-day prophets. That's a little different. Anyway, uh, Brother Dan, I'm going to juggle your memory, and I'm going to ask you to kind of forget everything that happened while you were in Dallas, Texas, for this conference. And I'm going to take you back to the last Sunday of September. And I'm going to try to engage with the question, who is Jesus um, for those of you who are tuning in and also for you, Pastor, uh, you were teaching out of John, John. chapter yep. 1, and the first three verses. So there's a lot in those three verses, um, but we usually just kind of read over them and keep going. Yep. So you made a, a, an extreme highlight of this word logos. Mm -hmm. um, and so why don't you take us through the, the practical application of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and, you know, how he pleased himself to dwell among us. All right. So just, just going right to application. Um, okay. Um, Two for one. Two for one. Okay. Um, so, so Pastor Carlos brings up um, that in the Greek, John introduces Jesus in the opening verses of his account of the gospel by referring to Jesus as the Logos or the Logos. Um, and he's doing so because uh, intentionally, try, because it's... Um, a desire of his, as the Spirit of God is leading him, um, to address a particular group of um, uh, that, that would be reading this, uh, who's his intended audience, um, and he's trying to identify with them uh, this sense that uh, that Jesus is the 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 truth that has escaped them or has eluded them um, all, all the while. Um, and so he's introducing Jesus in a philosophical sense for his, um, for his original audience and connecting what they hold to be true, uh, that being uh, the, the Greeks and, and their, their, their um, intelligentsia, their, their scholars, if you will. Um, by what they hold to be true and saying, you know, there, there are these truths that, that you all are aware of and affirm, but you need to know they are all, what you know to be true is all part of the source of truth 
who is Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And so where this becomes very practical, because that's not super practical, that, that's stuff that um, will get you through a um, an, an intro to theology class uh, in, in Bible school or seminary. Where this becomes super practical is uh, answering the question that was the title of the message two Sundays ago, because that is the question that you and I have to answer at the end of our lives or the end of time by the end of our lives. Let me reframe that or, or by the end of time, which is who is Jesus? Because the question of who Jesus is, as we have individually come to understand it, has everything to do with how our eternities will be spent. Now, uh, I'm, I can't unpack that last comment because I'm going to focus on the who is Jesus. Uh, and I'm uh, coming into that conversation with a presumption that there is life beyond uh, what we know is life um, and that there are eternal consequences. So I'm going to acknowledge that at the gate for those who may be listening, um, that those will be matters that are unaddressed. But if you have questions about those, uh, drop those in uh, in the comments on YouTube or email, and we'd be happy to engage on those if those are questions that you have. Um but the, this question of who is Jesus, um, the, the Orthodox Christian understanding is that Jesus is, uh, is very God. He's God himself and um, 2,000 years ago was incarnated and took on flesh, be, became human, if you will, born into this world um, and lived a perfect life. And so... Um, he does so because he's identifying himself with humanity. Uh, he does so because he is going to go to a cross and usher in a new covenant that uh, God himself is the one who is the, the one who, ha who is shouldering the responsibility of upholding the covenant ultimately um, and making a pathway in which you and I, having placed faith in Jesus Christ, might be reconciled, might be redeemed, might be restored with God the Father. Um, and so that's the 60 seconds of, of who is Jesus um, from a Christian, an Orthodox Christian understanding. There's so much more I could say about that. Um, right. The, 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 the fact of the matter is, though, you either affirm that or you don't. And so when it comes to being as practical as I can be, you either understand that Jesus has always existed, that he is God, that all things have been created through him and by him and for him, um, and that he is he has shown himself uh, to be Lord of all, uh, the ruler of all, and Savior of whomever would call upon his name unto salvation, or you reject that. Um, I think I shared, uh, yeah, I shared, um, in the course of that message, an excerpt that comes from, um, from mere Christianity, a book that's written mm -hmm. 70 years ago by C.S. Lewis, um, an all time who, favorite, by the way, who, who would challenge the modern notion that Jesus was just a guy who had, who was a great moral teacher. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what, what Lewis says and what I would offer to you uh, as you listen in a practical way, um, you cannot accept that Jesus is or was a um, just a great moral teacher and a human um, and, and a human alone, that the scriptures don't actually leave room for that. That if you if you really read the uh, the gospel accounts, and then you read the epistles that explain the gospel accounts, and you read the book of Acts that uh, that see Jesus preached, as you as you basically read the New Testament, there is nothing there that would leave room for anyone to realistically conclude that Jesus was just another human being and a really great moral teacher. Which right. are the the claims of many of the non Christian uh, systems of faith in the world, right? So uh, uh, Islam would claim that um, Mormons would claim that would claim that at least in the in what we refer to as the incarnation. They believe other things happen after death and resurrection, and I don't want to confuse right. the conversation with that unless you want to go there. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses would, would, would claim that. Um, that Jesus is human. Um, right. Moral teacher. But scripture right. doesn't actually leave room for that. Right. So what Lewis does in mere Christianity is, say, is saying, if, if you eliminate that as, the, as a potential conclusion, then you've either got a guy because he's claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be the son of man. He's making these otherwise outlandish claims that Lewis would equate with as um, as someone saying, I'm a poached egg. Yeah. Or he is who he says he is. Like the, 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 that is, those are your two logical options. And so when you answer, you ask the question, how do how do we practically apply the this text it's john's introduction to who jesus is right jesus is god yeah jesus has does exist and has always existed jesus is god right jesus has created all because all things have been created through him for him by him right um and you have to answer that question for yourself because there are eternal consequences to that. And so I think, as I remember, the, the message um, from two Sundays ago really has a lot to do with when you ask the question about the nature or person of Jesus, do you ask it in a past tense? Right. Like, and and like you're actually wouldn't. borrowing from a question I was going to ask you. How is it different when we say Jesus was versus Jesus is? So the that how it this is how it's different. Dan Newberg has a shelf life. Okay? And what I mean by that is Dan Newberg was born on a date in time. And Dan Newberg will um, will cease to exist as in life as we know it in a date and time. Um, and so we would refer to Dan after his death as Dan was. Dan was. Um, because 
I, in, in terms of this life, am a human being. Right. None different than um, I, I'm, I'm a sports guy, right? And so I'm following uh, Aaron Judge, who's um, sitting on 61 home runs, and uh, with with one more home run, will set the American League record um, for home runs in a season. But he's right. he's hitting these home runs in the new Yankee Stadium, and I know that there was the old Yankee Stadium that's that was torn down that where Roger Maris uh, set the record of 61. Much like the old Yankee Stadium was where the Yankees played. It no longer right. exists. Okay. Um, it is something that becomes a relic of the past. Therefore, we refer to it in the sense of was. When we refer, if we ask the question, who is Jesus? Then we're actually ascending to uh the actual understanding that Jesus was and is and will forever be right. Cause he is alive even now. Yes. He was born. Yes. He died in terms of his human nature. But Jesus, the Christ has always been, he existed eternally with the Father, and he lives now. He is. It's it's an acknowledgement that he that he has always existed and will forever right. exist. And so, if we refer to or we ask the question, not who was Jesus, but we ask the question, who is Jesus? We are asking that question with the acknowledgement of his eternal existence, with the acknowledgement of his resurrection, with the acknowledgement of his return, because he is alive today. Right. Um, and so that that's, that's the nuance, right? That if we sure. ask, if we pursue the, 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 the question with the expectation that Jesus is just a, a past person, well then truthfully, <clears throat> The gospel has no good news at all. Right. I think one of the things that you mentioned during your sermon that really, I think, bears on that practicality, you said Jesus is the mortal flesh face of God. Uh, and you made that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very good point. Like, and Jesus even said it, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father and you know him. Because I come from the Father, and the Father has sent me. You also made another point uh, where you you're guided us back to the point you made of God's self-existing nature. Uh, when you said, well, if you remember back in February, we read Exodus 3. And just to give you a, a refresher, not you, but the audience at large. Then Moses said to God, behold, I am about to come into the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say to me, what is his name? You said the Hebrew people at the time had many gods, worshipped many, many idols. And then this is what God says to Moses. I, the Egyptian God people. said to Moses, right. Oh, yeah, the Egyptian people. Sorry for that. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
the self-existing, the self-sustaining God of the universe is the one that is sending me to you. And this is the name that um, we get uh, in Ger Germanized Jehovah, because they combine the, the consonants and the uh, vowels of the name Adonai and Yahweh, Jehovah, or we just get the name Yahweh in, in, from the Hebrew. And this is the personal name of God. And so I, I think for, from this particular sermon, to understand that, yes, God is self-existing, he is lacking for nothing or no one, because he's in perfect community, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the fact that in, in, in his self-synergism, um, uh, if you will, the fact that he continues to exist because of his, his will as God to exist, that even in the, in that eternal existence, he was also forever incarnate, incarnate. That Christ has never changed. That he has always been present, and that he even even from before the 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 setting forth of human history, the second person of the Trinity came to was already in in his providence, ready to come and disclose himself that we might know him personally. I think that test to me, as I understand that, it testifies to the love that God has within Himself and then expressed to us, even as sinners, which is a beautiful foreshadow to the gospel. I um, I don't want to discourage the audience in in terms of reading scripture uh, in in English. I actually don't want to. At times, I, I resist offering this. Um, because I don't want to discourage the reading of scripture. So I, I start with this. Sure. Um, but many times our English translations do not help us make those direct connections uh, that Jesus uh, makes with the Old Testament references to the name of God. Um, so often when we encounter in the gospel accounts, um, where, um, someone inquires kind of mysteriously, like who, who goes there and Jesus responds, it is I, um, that, that's, that's often how the English translations will, will, um, will offer the translation, um, behind the scenes, what, what's actually recorded in the manuscripts is two words in the Greek, ego I may, or ego I me. Um, and if you translate that literally, it's I am. And I feel as though our English translations miss what the thunder and the lightning of those moments um, where Jesus is identifying himself with the same God who called Moses at the burning bush. Right. I think about uh, the, the, the Jesus approaching the, the disciples on the boat in the midst of the storm. Who is it that go, who, who, who approaches us? It is I. Ego in me. Well, G it's I am. Jesus is saying, I am. And it's like when you, it's, it's, it's like you take a black and white picture and you make it technicolor, right? When, when you make that connection. Um, and so and, there's and a, go ahead. Something, something for our modern audiences. It's when you take something in 720 resolution and you take it to 4k. 
because yeah. the the black and white, the Technicolor, we're talking to an older audience. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's 4K uh, is what what happens there. Um, yeah. So it's it's there's beauty in what in how Jesus is identifying himself, and the question is. Do you affirm that? And that's a question that I levy to everyone who's an earshot of this. Is that what you believe? You know, the, the, the basic tenet is, if you refer to Jesus as is, then you're affirming he's resurrected and alive. If you're referring to Jesus as was, then you acknowledge he's dead. Right. Um, and you've got to, you, you can't land on, that he was just a good moral teacher. You can't land there because he doesn't, he, Jesus won't. If you read what Jesus, um, how he presents himself, if you actually read it, he doesn't allow you to, to, to land there. He's nope. either a nutcase or he is who he says he is, that he is the son of God and the redeemer of all. Right. Either that or, 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 or he might as well be the antichrist. Cause that's, that's also a false, yes. the false claim of the enemy. I am the one who comes to save, but he comes to, to destroy. Um, one final note. Uh, I love, and, and this is kudos to you, because again, I think the undergirding of reading the Bible together as a congregation, even if it's a fraction of the entirety of the body, enables us to see the richness of God's redemptive story to see how from, uh, again, I, I think it was in that one sermon, it could have been yesterday's because I'm trying to keep things separate, but my memory is kind of failing. Uh, he knows the end from the beginning. I think that's, you made that point for not this past Sunday, yesterday, but a week ago, a week and a day. So the fact of knowing that God knew exactly how history will turn out, how history will continue to fold uh, fold out, leading to his glorious return and the the restoration of all things being made new, to know that in, even in, in all of that, it was not enough simply to have, like uh, Paul in Romans says, creation testifies to the glory of God. It testifies to his statutes and to his precepts. But to read in the gospel, specifically mixing all of them together as we have done so far in our reading. You read Matthew and it focuses on, oh, well, this is the son of Mary and it's by the power of God. You read, you read the gospel of Luke and it takes you back through the lineage of Joseph and he goes back all the way back to saying, and this is the son of Adam, the son of God, uh, making us all of these connections. And then you read in the beginning uh, again of John, where we are, where in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And and it's beautiful. Even, even as you open the sermon closing with this on my end, you, you, you have the license to add more in that the same word used in the Greek translates to the word that's used to open the, the old Testament, Bereshit in the beginning. And so uh, kind of giving us this idea that before history was, God is and continues to be. And so what a mighty God we serve. Amen. Uh, and, and I like the way that you ended up with this. So you asked the question, 
who is Jesus, and then you you compel the congregation, will you trust this Jesus? Not the nutcase, not the one who would deceive, because he's, he's not doing those things. But would you trust the one who formed you in your mother's womb, the one that sustains all of creation by the will of his power, the one by whom, through whom, and unto whom all things are made? That, that was a poignant question, I think. Um, and I just hope that as people hear us today, that they will also hear that question and, and that they may consider it. Will you trust this Jesus who is the Son of God? Anything to add on the first segment? Nada. Okay. In case you didn't know, Pastor Dan is bilingual, so he's pretty. he's a pretty cool cat, I think. All right. Making a transition point. Uh, and by the way, perfect timing because it's about 30 minutes on the docket. So, cool. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And yeah. so now we go from John 1, where we see about the Logos. And seven days later, yesterday, Pastor, you bring us a message from Matthew 1, uh, 3. I should say Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So tell us what's happening in this particular chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, or the Gospel according to Matthew. That's a better way yeah. of saying it. Yes. Um, One Gospel. So, <laughs> what's, uh, what's, what's going on is Matthew has, it, I guess I'm going to tell this from the perspective of Matthew right now. Yes. Um, Matthew is has completed uh, introducing uh, and telling the story of the arrival of the incarnation and connecting, um, connecting Jesus through a lineage of uh, the family of faith, if you will, um, in the introduction of, of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, um, you see um, a genealogy uh, that, that many just love to read and spend hours over. I know. Um, but to, from that, you, you see the, the family of faith, if you will. You see Gentile inclusion there um, with some of the individuals who are in that list. You see feminine inclusion, which was an oddity for uh, genealogies uh, of that day. Um, it would have obviously, not obviously, maybe not obviously, um, the a, a common... Uh, template for genealogies in uh, ancient times would have um, only been indicative of the, the male inheritors uh, of family lines. So the fact that Matthew includes uh, feminine names um, or females specifically um, is, uh, is really talking about the inclusive nature of uh, God's um, kingdom, um, the, who the Messiah is, and what's what's happening. Um, and so Matthew has um, told these introductory um, accounts of the, the person of Jesus and in the incarnation. And the backdrop to chapter three is not setting those things aside, uh, but now transitioning to, okay, you know enough about um, Jesus's entering the world stage now we're in, being introduced to Jesus as a person of ministry in a very public way. Um, and so the, the scene, if you will, um, cuts to um, one who is announcing uh, in a public way the arrival of Jesus um, and then uh, a 
magnificent, miraculous moment uh, that concludes the chapter. So I, maybe I'll just I'll just say that because you may have questions to ask about the text from there. I sure do. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I always, like I've said before, the best form of applause for a preacher is not to applaud uh, in the middle of um, the sermon, but just take notes and then consider those. And I have plenty of those uh, right there, scribblings. So, all right. So here's here's the thing. So 300 years, 400 years of silence. Uh, in the la- one of the last readings we did, um, we read from a prophet. If I'm not mistaken, it's Micah. And in Micah, we read this very unique uh, prophecy. One that will come in the spirit of Elijah, proclaiming the, the straight paths of God. Make, make straight the way of the Lord. And so we, he- we see this particular scene happening. Uh, with the introduction of one John the Baptist. Uh, not only that, but before he begins his preaching, I believe this is in the Gospel according to Luke, uh, there's a visit between Mary, who goes to see his cousin, um, and Elizabeth, uh, who is elderly, is pregnant, and there's a very unique reaction from the baby in the womb. The baby leaps for joy when they, they hear the, the voice of Mary. And then there's a proclamation. Uh, and I know that this is one that could lend itself to a rabbit trail. But this is uh, Elizabeth's response. Um, basically saying, what have I done to deserve the honor of having the, the servant of the Lord that will bear the Savior of humanity um, to come into my home? How... In your perspective, how rich and beautiful, or what is the the meaningful nature of this, John the Baptist? Because again, we we one of the last things we 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 hear is there will be one that comes in the power of Elijah, and then three to four hundred years later, here's a here's a man who even in his in his own right is it's the ushering of this kingdom that's at hand whose job is actually to be the usher for the Savior. You can take that wherever you want to. So, um, and there's so many different ways to take that. So, I mean, perspective. Um, And please feel free to to draw me back. Um, If there's there's uh, another opportunity to maybe enrich this conversation. Um, where my mind goes in starting this thought with Jesus <laughs> and then um, viewing John in light of Jesus is for me, um, when, when I use language like Jesus is Lord, um, I don't want to be confused or, or um, uh, I don't want those two who hear me say that to be confused more specifically. Uh, right. When I, when I use that language, I am doing so with an understanding, a personal understanding that Lord means ruler, means sovereign, means king. Uh, in other words, when I say that, 
if I were to say it a different way, I mean, Jesus is king of all. He, right. he rules over all. And so the, the beauty and the significance of John in light of that is he serves the great uh, privilege and honor uh, and duty of being the one in terms of an earthly kingdom, which we visually and audibly uh, and experientially are more, much more familiar with uh, as being the one who would be the, the, the grand um, trumpeteer who's announcing the arrival of the king, uh, announcing the arrival of this, this kingdom in royal fashion. Right. Um, and the, the, the beauty therein, because we also have to remember, though John is preaching in the wilderness and he's, um, he's not tickling ears uh, in what he's saying, and the, the dude looks otherwise wild and crazy. Um, right. He, gee, what does Jesus say about John? He honors him. He says, there's no one born of women who is greater than John the Baptist. Right. So think about that he's he's not actually i mean he's not saying that, that that John didn't need a redeemer he's not saying that at all no. uh, but what he is saying is think about the great privilege it is to be the one who if you will goes do 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 and you know is announcing the kingdom and her king um there's such beauty and magnificence in that expression, um, there's beauty and magnificence in the relationship that they share, uh, it, right. biologically, if you will, um, but the in an earthly sense. Um, but for me, the the greater significance and beauty is who John is in light of the kingdom and her king. Uh, right. And so that's that's when, when I when I hear that question asked, that's where I want to go. Oh, that's great. I, I think looking at the text is, is a beautiful thing to see because nothing is by chance. And because we believe and teach that the word of God is inspired without error. One of the things that we see here is this beckoning call to remember the prophets of old. Right, because that's exactly what that's exactly what God is trying to say. There will be one, the final prophet, whose sole job is going to be here. He is, and, and I think that the way that um, John even says that, because again, oftentimes people just ourselves included. Sometimes we read over things and gloss over them. I like what it says here. Um, Let's see, where is it? It is in Matthew chapter 3. And he's talking to the, to the, to the people, uh, to the teachers of the law. And he basically tells them, I'm, I'm unworthy of even untying his, his sandals. I'm not even worthy of him. But my job is to tell you that I baptize with water for the repentance of sins, but he who comes will come and baptize with the fire that is the Holy Spirit. And and then here comes Jesus, and Jesus is baptized. Um, and and we can go into you can lead us through the significance of that and how that impacts the way we should live. I simply like the idea of seeing how 
one, we have the connection between the Old Testament and New Testament in a very real way by reading the story or the history, I should say, of John at the Jordan baptizing Christ. And then how that propels us full force into the, the gospel age, the kingdom age, in the sense that right after Jesus is baptized, we see God sealing Christ before the people. And then in chapter 4, Jesus did not go and take a vacation. He did not do anything. He he was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted um, so that he couldn't, so that he could become, not become, sorry, that's the wrong term, so that he can show his empathetic nature as a redeemer, knowing what it means to struggle and to be tempted. And I mean, as we read this, the narrative, to be to be face to face with Satan and to be able to rebuke him and and pretty much run him off, but ringing it back in during the the first segment of this conversation, you talked about how different religious um, views uh, I, on of my own account, my own stat- statement, religious cults would view Jesus as less than God. And you shared with the congregation yesterday a very unique engagement where they use the baptism of Christ to make him less than God, when that's not the intended purpose. Why don't you share with us how and why it is important in the redemptive story for Jesus to be baptized and how that makes him even even more relatable to us and connect us deeper with God the Father. Sure. Uh, so um, what you are referring to is an encounter I had now two weeks ago, I think, something like that, where I was visited by a pair of Mormon missionaries uh, at my home um, who came to share with me uh, a copy of the Book of Mormon. Uh, and to share with me their faith. And um, I let them know that uh, who I was, uh, not just by name, but in terms uh, of calling and vocation, and then welcomed them into my home, and they they received that invitation. And so um, they spent about an hour in my home, and we discussed, ironically or or not, uh, the the question of who is Jesus. Um, And in their rebuttal of the claims that would have been uh, advanced from John chapter one, which is where that conversation started um, in in my offering, um, ironically. Um, It's almost as though they were priming me for these messages. (laughs) Um, uh, They they took me to Matthew chapter three. And what they they did... um, is raise their doubt and suspicion about the claims of um, of divinity for Christ um, on the basis of the fact that the scriptures themselves bear witness to Jesus being baptized by a man who is claiming that he baptizes people in water for repentance. And so what they are claiming is that Jesus was in need of such a baptism because he had sin to repent of. And Mm. since he had that sin nature, he clearly could not have been God um, through that moment. 
um, and that the, the claims of Jesus' sinlessness that, uh, that Orthodox Christians uh, hold and affirm cannot be true because of that baptism. Right. Um, and so they, they offer that. And uh, what, what happens in, 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 with that understanding is, if I can summarize it in this way, it is as if you drop into a passage in a point in time that, and you read it without any understanding of what's transpired in the story beforehand. Or in other words, if I were to pick up any book of fiction, Right now I'm reading The Lord of the Rings, um, which is not the same as the movie, um, which is really hard mentally to work through. I should have never watched the movies before I read the book. Um, <laughs> the, it, it, would, it would be no different than me dropping into like book number two and chapter number three without having read anything of book one or the first two chapters of Tolkien's second book. Um, right. So I would have no awareness of what has gone on leading up to that moment. And so then I'm trying to deduce rationally, what's this about? Why are these characters here? And without the, the, the cursory or precursor information, I would not have the information I need to actually ascertain what's really going on. And so... This the, the, these Mormons, and I let them know this, and I will let the audience know, are guilty of only reading or predominantly reading the Book of Mormon and then allowing that to serve as a filter through which they read the New Testament and apply the Book of Mormon's understanding of Jesus to the New Testament without understanding what is happening in terms of um, prophetic um, claims and the fulfillment of those prophecies in this scene. Right. So, John, John is uh, John is the expected fulfiller of the one who would make straight the paths for the way of the Lord's uh, return, if you will. Um, he he. There there was a promise uh, about one who would come announcing these things. He would come uh, like or a, a as a type of Elijah, which is fulfilled um, in 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 John. Which is why it's really important to not overlook the details that even include one's wardrobe or countenance or appearance, right. um, because there's there the the divinely inspired authors are intending to, uh, as their light of God, to connect this with what we have from the Old Testament. Right. So you have that. And beyond that, we are now, as uh, the, the, without reading the Old Testament, you have no sense for why, why God needs to come in an incarnation. You have no sense for, as Jesus will later discuss as we continue reading, why there needs to be this thing called a new covenant that's ushered in with his blood. Um, right. In fact, if you just read that, you're like, wow, this is this is like a horror movie. Um, maybe you just get turned off by the whole suggestion of, of you know, uh, th this whole thing. Um, 
and you don't have a you you don't understand why there's an old a new covenant because you never understood the old covenant, um, right? And what what's going on in this baptism that's so confounding for many that haven't done the time or sat under the teaching to understand this is that right. in the bringing about of the kingdom, which we know when it fully comes will constitute a return to the peace of God that was, uh, that existed in Eden at creation. Which I think it, before you continue needs to be noted. It's not, to, it's not to say it's just like Russia and Ukraine are no longer fighting, right? This is a, a this is a fundamental at the core of all existence tranquility that is that is no longer interrupted by temptation or sin or evil. Right. In order for that to come about, the expected Messiah of whom John has been announcing, that even kind of confused John, is not going to come as a warrior king. Mm -hmm. But he's going to come as one who would identify himself with God's people. He's going to come as one who would serve as their substitute by taking on their guilt, by living their life, the life that God had prescribed through the law and upholding it and living it fully and perfectly. But even though he lived it perfectly, because they, and you and I, cannot, he assumes our guilt Amen. and dies the death that we are due. And it is only God himself, the, the point of the law, if you will, the point of the law was really, <laughs> as we look at it this side of the cross, was really to reveal our inability. Amen. And then, and then bring about the sense of our complete and utter dependency upon the grace of God. Right. And the beauty of the new covenant is to say we don't have we don't have anything to do with this equation of um, righteousness with God. That it right. is that it's actually one hundred percent God who would share righteousness with us. By faith, um, but it's it's God Himself who, in that, in the in this exchange, if you will, um, this is where words become almost uh, pointless <laughs> in describing uh, the, these matters. Um, they, they don't do enough to say the significance or importance is what I mean by this. Um, right. They. The it's God Himself who shoulders our indebtedness in our iniquity, in our sin that we've committed against God, because God right. Himself is the only one who can withstand the wrath of God that is due upon sin, right? And upon the sinner, right? He stands in that gap and He takes it upon Himself because He is a perfect and blameless sacrifice. Amen. Um, and we, 
those those two friends of mine who visited my home a few weeks ago frankly have no sense for the significance of this scene because they've not they they, they haven't read the whole story right and they don't have a sense for um what christ is doing even in this baptism he's not right. saying i need to repent what he's doing is he's he's saying i identify with those who do repent right um and in identifying with them he has made himself to be sin for even though he knew no sin um he becomes sin for us. He, he dies for us. He's raised for us. Um, all so that we might be set free. Amen. And so that's, that's the, that's if I, if I'm talking to any Mormon listeners right now, I sit here as a Christian man who acknowledges his sin and has repented of it and knows that he's going to continue to sin because yep. this flesh is predisposed to it. But I also know that I've been set free and that I don't have to live a life where I do things trying to earn God's favor. Right. I do things for God in response to the grace that he has given me out of my love for the one who has saved me. And that's a completely different thing because right. what I do know is that those two who sat in my living room, probably I should say what I suspect strongly of them is that they probably struggle with the idea of salvation and that they came from families in Idaho and Utah, which is where they shared with me they're from. And they're hoping to even have their own family's affirmation and the acceptance of their church based off of their the church's perception of their success on the mission field. Right. And so they, they serve their church with their understanding, with the hope that by their works, they might be made right. Right. And that's not a gospel at all. It's not. I will, I would like to offer to you a quote from you yesterday. Uh -oh. No effort can change us except God's work. And I think uh, if anything to, to kind of bring, bring, bring it full circle is, in, in the baptism, we see that in the, in the identification with fallen humanity, Christ is able to say, my work is sufficient. My work will cover you. And I am, I will gather unto myself those that will su submit to my lordship and my, my rule over their lives. And I think to, to even speak to the point you just made, it gives us a sense of freedom to know that all we have to do is become weaker and less that he might become stronger and that he may increase in our lives. Um, now quoting the apostle Paul. So, um, I, I really enjoy 
uh, hearing you just kind of give more m- more of a breadth and depth to the sermon because it's it's a challenge, by the way, for our audience. It's a challenge for either one of us, especially for Pastor Dan, because he's the teaching pastor. He's the lead pastor of our church. But anytime we get behind a pulpit, 40 hours worth of research, 40 hours worth of study, and we need to just follow the leadership, not to try not to become a uh, shotgun preacher where we just blurt everything out, but where we're trying to become a 50 caliber preacher where we drive one point over two miles so that people can hopefully begin to see that there's real meaning to, to, to this Christian life. Despite the suffering, despite the the consequence of following a very narrow path, not by our own power. Um, I really like also that you reminded us that redemption means you're being bought back at a price. What is that price, Pastor Dan? The life of Jesus Christ. So. What a price. What a price. Well, I have no more questions. I think I think you've done magnificently to to expound on this and to even make it more relatable in case people do not understand why as a confessing church we believe that it is those who confess Christ and profess their allegiance to him that are baptized as believers into our church. And so I also believe that um, as, as we present this and hopefully are making things clearer for the audience, that perhaps, um, that perhaps we can go into this question that you close your sermon with. Um, does he live within your heart? Because you quoted one of our faithful hymns. Um, we will he not lives. sing it. He lives. he lives today. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along the narrow way. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? And the answer? He lives within my heart. And that's the question. Upon the, the throne of your heart, who sits? Is it you? Or is it Christ? Because pastorally, and I mean this, and I don't mean this, I mean this in a challenging way, not in a confrontational way. Right. There are lots of filled heads and lots of empty chests where Christ should be reigning. Does he reign within you? That's the question. 